Well, good morning, everybody. We are actively participating in Lent this season by becoming more Jesus-shaped. That's what our graphic says. That's what our book says. We're becoming more like Jesus. But the key word there is we are actively participating. And we are doing it through our small group studies. We're doing it through our sermon series over this 40-day stretch. And our goal really is to help us reorient, rearrange, and recenter our lives on God. Um, That way we can be transformed by God through the Spirit to be more shaped like Jesus. That's that's our goal, Jesus-shaped life. Because after all, who wouldn't want to be more like Jesus, right? After all, he's the Savior, he's the Redeemer, Lord, King of Kings, Prince of Peace, Mighty and Wonderful Counselor, all those nicknames that we know. Who wouldn't want to be more like that? So by one by one, through these next couple of weeks leading up to Easter, we're going to look at the things that help us to become more Jesus-shaped. Last week, we kicked it all off by talking about repentance. It's something that we should embrace. Repenting is something we should embrace. By repenting, we, of course, stop all the toxic outside worldly influences, and we turn back to God. It's through the act of repentance that we talked about we can be washed clean, right? Like John the Baptist, washed clean by the Spirit if, if we would only admit to our need before the Lord. And today, we're going to branch off of repentance a little bit, and we're going to examine why a Jesus-shaped life should, and we should, could, and ought to uh, include obedience. Obedience. Obedience to God specifically. Simply said, we just need to do what Jesus tells us to do without hesitation and fully. (laughs) In our guidebook, I I like how Steve Cordell, the author of our book, he puts it this way. He says, there is no such thing as a Jesus-shaped person who does not obey God. Because guess what? Jesus obeyed God. And he was marked, his life was marked by obedience to the Father. But it's never easy being obedient. I don't know about for you, but for me, being obedient is kind of difficult. I like to be a, a contrarian most of the time anyways. When someone tells me to go left, I want to be like, hey, why can't I go right? Uh, but what's, uh, let's, let's take a step back. W- when you think of obedience, what is the first thing you think of? My mind, as it so often likes to do and wander in la-la land, when I think of obedience, I think of obedience school. Obedience school for dogs, specifically. Who has ever taken their dog to an obedience school before? Has anybody done it? Okay, well, I've never had to take a dog to obedience school before, but maybe you're like me and you've been in PetSmart on a Saturday when they're doing obedience school. And you go over and you wander to look at all the little pups on a Saturday morning. And there was this one time, I have to admit, I chuckled to myself still thinking about it today. There was one particular dog who was having a rather rough go of it. That's how I'm going to put it. They were supposed to be leading their dogs in a circle by their owner with a leash, right? And everyone's supposed to be going in this circle. There's this one dog who's like, nah, I'm going to do whatever I want. It's pulling this poor lady all over the store. I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, but you know, a disobedient dog often can be a danger to not only others, but also itself, right? That's why we put them in obedience school. That's, that's why we do it. But dogs, they're not the only animal you should think of when it comes to obedience, Let me tell you about the rigorous training 
that goes into an Arabian certified horse. Everyone's heard of Arabian horses before, right? But these horses are taught specifically strict obedience skills. And they must actually pass a final test before they get that stamp of approval from a trainer. Now, this final test, I must admit, it's pretty cruel, but it's effective. Let me tell you about it. The trainers, they force the horses to go several days without water. Mind you, in the arid environment of the Middle East isn't exactly the easiest thing to do. But then they take this group of horses and they turn them loose all of a sudden in front of a large supply of water. Of course, they start running down towards the embankment of the waterway, you know, to get to the edge, ready to plunge in. But at that moment, then, the trainers blow a whistle. And if the horses are properly trained and obedient, they stop on the whistle blow, turn around, and go back to the trainer. They may be exhausted with thirst, quivering, wanting water, but a perfectly obedient Arabian horse will stop regardless, turn back around, and go back to its trainer until the trainer gives him the signal after he knows he has full obedience to go take a drink. It's, it's cruel, is it not? But it is effective <laughs> to see if they are trained. Let me ask you a question. Do you think you could pass a similar test like that? <laughs> Especially when it comes to the obedience that we're called to have in Jesus. Do you think you could pass the Arabian horse test, whatever that may be? You know, in a Jesus-shaped life, we are to be obedient to God. And it comes from Jesus. Jesus shows us how obedient he is to God. Our scripture reading this morning is actually out of Philippians chapter 2. Uh, it's one of our, actually, core 52 verses from last year. I'll see, you'll, you'll probably recognize as, as we get into it. But a Jesus-shaped life is molded by obedience, specifically the obedience we see in Jesus. Read along with me. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Praise be to God. Will you join me in prayer? Oh, Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the med meditations of all of our hearts May they be found holy and acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. To have a Jesus-shaped life, we must, like last week, repent, but also be obedient to God. Now, we have to be obedient to not just God the Father, but also God the Son, and God the Spirit. It's the threefold, right? That's who we have to be obedient to. Jesus was no exception to the rule either. He, in fact, I think is the most powerful example of what it looks like to be obedient. Uh, we specifically see it really play out in the garden on the night of his arrest, on the night of his betrayal when he's in the garden. We read this out of Matthew. Going a little farther, he, Jesus, threw himself on the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, 
let this cup pass from me. And then Jesus says, yet not what I want, but what you want. Jesus, you see, knew the horrors of the cross. He's in the garden sweating blood, as it says in our scriptures. He knew the horrors of what he was going to have to go through. And yet, in the end, he says, yet not what I want, but what you want, God, the pain that he was going to Now, this, of course, like I said, is a powerful master example, but it's extreme, extreme, extreme example of obedience because being obedient to the Lord doesn't often look so radical and extreme, all right? Often obedience to God means we just got to follow his ways, his words, and his wisdoms. That's what obedience looks like, okay? After all, God puts these rules and regulations in our lives for our own well-being. He's not doing it to punish us or to take away all the good things in life. No, that's not what he's doing. God's intent is to help us live life to the best of our abilities, to make us prosper. You know, it's that famous Bible verse out of Jeremiah 29, 11. For surely I know the plans I have for you, say the Lord, plans for your welfare and not to harm, to give you a future with hope. Everyone knows this scripture verse. And yet, we assume because God tells us to stay away from this, that, or the other thing, that he's taking something away that we want. I'm one of those people who likes to be the ones that say, well, I want to touch that as soon as the sign says, do not touch, right? But here's the catch. It's kind of like dog obedience school. As soon as you start breaking the rules, you're putting yourself and others at danger. (laughs) You know, Roger Staubach is a NFL Hall of Famer. He was famous, of course, as being a quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys back in the 1970s. He won two Super Bowls for the Cowboys back then when the Cowboys were actually good. It's been many years since they've been good. But he admitted that he really struggled upon his arrival. You see, Roger Staubach was used to running his own offense. Back in the 1970s and in the 60s when he was going to the school, he won a Heisman Trophy at Navy. He was a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback. And what he would do is he would actually run his own offense. He would call the plays. And the team at Navy would play him out. But in Dallas, they had another Hall of Famer. It was head coach Tom Landry. And that guy sent in every play. And you better run every play that he called. Think of it this way. When Coach Landry said, pass the ball, that's when Staubach was supposed to pass. Run the ball, that's when you're supposed to run. And even though Roger Staubach considered Coach Landry to be, what he says, a genius mind when it came to football, he really struggled being obedient to the play calls because he thought he could do it, and he won a Heisman Trophy doing it. (laughs) Uh, Roger later said, though, his success came from being obedient to the play call. He says, and I quote, I faced up to the issue of obedience Once I learned to obey, there was harmony, fulfillment, and of course in sports, victory. Harmony, fulfillment, victory. (laughs) Who wouldn't want more of that in their own personal life? Right? That's what obedience to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ looks like. It brings harmony, fulfillment or purpose, and it brings victory. (laughs) 
But what stops us from obeying? For Roger Staubach, it maybe was a pride, it was an ego selfishness that kind of led him astray off the path and into the wilderness. And maybe you're thinking, ah, well, that that wouldn't happen to me, but let's be honest. (laughs) When we look in the mirror, especially at this time of Lent, we're supposed to be looking at the mirror, reflecting on who we are as people. We know that we're disobedient. (laughs) You know, we like trying to run our own game plans. We like to run straight towards that water with no end in sight. We like to be that dog at PetSmart that's running towards the cats from the Humane Society rather than the one circling around the training station. You know, my personal disobedience in life often is in the mold of Roger Staubach. That's like I, I like to use that example this morning because it's my pride and ego that often gets me in trouble in life. But maybe it's not for you. Maybe for you what gets you in trouble in your obedience is anger. Or maybe it's lust, or greed, or wrath, or gluttony, or laziness. I don't know if you saw me counting there, but I believe there were seven of those things that are quite often why we're disobedient. These are common, everyday things that cause us not to listen to what we're supposed to do. (laughs) But the funny thing is, is if we allow these things to fester in us, they just grow in our soul and they take hold deep down. Ultimately, they make us disobedient to God. And we all deal with this problem. Let's get real. There's no one that's ever exempt from being disobedient to God. You know, Paul writes about it in Romans. He says, For I do not do the good I want to do, but instead I do the evil that I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. He says it over and over again in so many different ways in the New Testament. Paul says we are all disobedient. We relate to that. Even though we know it's wrong, we're disobedient. Sin has gripped us, and as our author Steve Cordo points out, it makes a stronghold in our lives. A stronghold is a military term. It basically means a fortress. It's a, it's a fortress that you create and it's your stronghold and it would take a lot to overcome. Sin works that way in our souls also, friends. It makes a stronghold, whether it's anger or lust or pride or ego, whatever it may be. Let me give you another example. When Christian Herter was a governor of Massachusetts back in the 90s, he was running for a second term and he told a story that was too good not to share. One day, he was uh, busy out campaigning. He was running for a second term. So, you know, he's going out, he's shaking hands, kissing babies, you know, doing the whole political thing. But after a morning that had tailed into afternoon, he'd gotten a little famished after all this campaigning. And he ended up showing up at a church barbecue to once again shake hands and kiss babies. But as he moved down the serving line of uh, uh, of the barbecue, He held out his plate to the woman that was serving the chicken. And she put a piece on his plate, and then she turned to the person who was next in line. And the governor says, excuse me, uh, do you mind if I have another piece of chicken? I've been out campaigning all day. It's been really long. I'd really appreciate it. And the woman told him, sorry, I'm supposed to give just one piece of chicken to each person. But I'm starved, says the governor. Sorry, the woman said again. Only one to a customer. Now, Governor Herter 
was kind of similar to our own governor, Mike DeWine. If you ever see Mike DeWine in person, he's a whole five foot six, uh, maybe 120 pounds. He's not a very big physical opposing man, and neither was Governor Herter. But he decided in this moment he was going to try and throw his weight around a little bit. And he goes, do you know who I am? I'm the governor of this state. And the woman said in reply, do you know who I am? I'm the lady in charge of the chicken. <laughs> Move along, mister. You know, it's, here's my point. It's that pride, right? It's, it's a silly example, but when pride festers in our soul, when you hunger, maybe not for chicken, but maybe for self-acceptance, or maybe it's for physical approval, or maybe it's for acceptance, you'll do a lot of things to try and get harmony, fulfillment, and victory in life. <laughs> now, these strongholds, we got to figure out a way that we can break these things down so we can stay obedient to God, all right? That's what I want to focus as we end the sermon this morning. We need to figure a way to break the chain of addiction to the sin that constantly plagues us, whatever it is that's sin for you, all right? The first thing that I think we should be able to do to obey God better and break down strongholds is know that at our core desires— they can only be fulfilled by one and one person only, and it's Jesus. What are some of the core desires of our life? Okay, some of them are achievement. Uh, so to some of us, it's connection. Maybe it's competency. I search for that one constantly. There's stability. There's peace. It, it's from these desires that we become motivated to pursue love and security, approval, significance, and more. It's all basic psychology 101 stuff. Sorry to take you back to college. But a good example of this, I think, to kind of put out there is if you know someone who hoards material things or money, okay, often people that have the compulsion to hoard, they are searching for security and significance, okay, because of the ways of the world, their mind has been conditioned to think that security and significance comes from money and from things. That, that is the world we live in, at least in America it is, exclusively. Now, let me be clear. Security and significance are really, really, really important. It doesn't make wanting to have security and significance bad. It's not evil to want those things. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we cannot chase after security and significance at all cost. Because if we go after those things at all costs, that's often when we disobey God. We start getting off the path. We start cutting corners. We start taking advantage of people. <laughs> we become miserly, greedy, ungenerous. You know, as Christians, we must know that the only true way to significance and security it comes from God and God alone. If you're looking for love in this life, man, you better not look for it in a person <laughs> because the only person it comes from is God alone. If you're looking for true peace, you're only going to find it from God. If you're looking for true acceptance, once again, it's only going to come from God. We see a great example of this in, once again, a 40-day segment of Jesus' life. You know, we talked about last week, John the Baptist and Jesus getting baptized a little bit. Immediately after his baptism, what does Jesus have to endure? Forty days in the wilderness. The Spirit leads him out into the wilderness, leads him out into the world. 
And here's the funny thing. Jesus, when he goes out into the world, he is tempted with sin. He's tempted with the devil. He knows the things that we are tempted in this life with. He understands that. But Jesus responds with perfect obedience to God. We see it play out in Matthew chapter 4. He goes out and the devil starts to spring a trap for him because Jesus in this 40 days, he's fasting from food, of course, as we like to think we kind of do that with red meat during Lent sometimes a little bit, but Jesus spends 40 days fasting from food, all right? And the devil tempts him to change the stones that are oh so plentiful in the desert around him into bread. But Jesus replies, for it is written, one does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He stays obedient. Then the devil tempts him with something that we all would love, worldly power, in which Jesus responds, for it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Finally, one more time, the devil tempts him with massive world significance. By trying to make him the ruler of all the worlds. On top of the temple, he offers Jesus this power. And Jesus' response, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. (laughs) Jesus knew. He knew to obey God. In order to do that, he was going to have to be truly sustained by God alone. By abiding in the Father is the only way that he could stay away from sin. Look, at the end of the day, we just got to stop trying to reach the end goal at all costs. We have to remember that if we need something, we should probably go to the one who supplies all things, which is God. We must realize that God is the only thing that can satisfy in our lives. God alone. That's the first step to becoming more obedient. Know that your desires can only be fulfilled by God. Step two. We need to follow godly rules with not just our hands, but with our hearts also. All right, let's be honest. So many times in life, we think that if we don't actually act on the sin of our lives, then we'll be okay. (laughs) But I'm here to tell you that we got to strive to do something better. All right? This is how Jesus kind of portrays it in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, Tear it out and throw it away. (laughs) It is better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. Was he being literal in the Sermon on the Mount? No. Jesus is saying it's no longer okay to just go through the motions. You got to believe it in your heart heart. We should want to happily follow the rules of God. That's the trouble, isn't it? We'll begrudgingly follow the rules in life, but we like to complain about them, don't we? (laughs) We sure do like to complain. We grumble. I call it the grumbler's disease. Under our breath, right? I can't believe I have to do this. I can't believe Pastor Robbie talks for 25 minutes each Sunday. I can't believe I have to sit through this. Grumble, grumble, grumble. I get it. I get it. But I can't emphasize this enough. When we allow God into our lives, he doesn't just transform us on the outside, the things we do with our hands, okay? He transforms us on the inside. He will change the way you think about service. He will change the way you think about the things that you're told to give up or to stay away from. 
He will change the way your heart works if you allow him. Our response just needs to be to listen to God's spirit, to listen to what he's telling us to do, and he will transform you so that we can break down sin and get away from it, which leads to our third and final step. Step three is we need to actively be listening to the Spirit. After all, how obedient can you really be to God if you aren't looking and listening for Him in the world around you, okay? (laughs) If you're sitting in worship and you hear the pastors talking about what type of ministry we're offering in this season, how you can get involved, and all of a sudden you feel this kind of poke in the ribs, now it may not be by your spouse, it may be by the Holy Spirit. (laughs) That flutter of the heart you know, however it happens, the spirit isn't pushing, or the spirit is pushing you towards something. That's what he's doing. Obedience to the spirit doesn't mean that you go around covering your ears, saying "la la 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 la," I can't hear you, God. Nope, I'm not going to do that. Or perhaps, you know, how many times has this happened for you? It happened to me this week twice. You're sitting down, maybe reading some scriptures for your personal devotion, and all of a sudden, one of the scriptures you read hits you right between the eyes. It's like it's speaking to you. It's like, I can't believe I'm reading this scripture this day because I've been really struggling with anger and I, I see Moses breaking the tablets as he comes down from, from Mount Sinai because of they've built a golden calf at the bottom of Mount Sinai. Now, does that mean that we go around because we don't want to be brought into the Spirit's uh, uh, ways? We cover our eyes from the scripture and say, I, I can't see you, I can't see No, that's not. We need to be actively looking and listening to what God wants us to do. The only time that happens is when you actively listen and look for God. Set time apart to look and listen to God. Whatever that looks like for you. Sometimes the best way to do that's in prayer. Maybe the best time to do that is by reading the scriptures. Maybe the best time to do that is by listening to some Christian contemporary station on your way to work during the week. It's different for everybody. But tune in to the Spirit somehow, in some way, because I promise you, if you set that time apart for God, He will speak to you in ways you never knew what was possible. And when God speaks to you, man, you are so much more readily willing to be obedient. <laughs> when God speaks to you in that way, you listen. It means so much more than reading the Old Testament laws, all 462 of them. <laughs> Our God, though, he requires you to be obedient. I like the way our author sums it up uh, from this this week that you're going to read in in our uh, 40-day Lenten discipleship. Steve Cordell puts it this way. He says, Jesus obeyed God to the point of death. We read that out of Philippians 2. You know the story. Jesus died on the cross. He didn't want to go there, but he went there. However, most of the time, God is telling us how to live not how to die. God's commands are not always easy to obey, but his intent is to bless us. Jeremiah 29, 11. His intents are to bless us, not to rob us of joy. So this Lent, friends, will you join me in repenting week one and now focus on obeying our God? Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, We know in this life that obedience is what we're called to do. To be obedient to your ways, words, and wisdoms. Give us that sense of listening actively 
and seeing to be surrounded in a world that is not by toxic sin, but by surrounded by you. For when we look for you, we see you, Lord. And when we see you, we often hear you. And when we hear you, help us to follow through with not just our hands, but with our hearts and our minds. To know that you know what is best for us in each and every moment. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.